Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. I, I like people to like me. Do you guys like me? Shouldn't ask that in front of everybody, right? I, I really, I, I like to be liked. I like it when people are happy with me. Anybody else like it when people are happy with you? The people around you, right? We, we like that. We much prefer that. Um, you know, I, one of the things that, that just kind of hurts deeply sometimes is when you have people who have become upset with you for some reason. And maybe it was, you know, you didn't even realize it, or maybe you did. Maybe you deserved it, maybe you didn't. But the idea is when someone comes upset with you enough to the point where they, they break off a relationship and, and walk away, and man, that, that's hurtful. And so we tend to try to avoid those things, right? And we try not to, to make people do that or be that way, because we... we uh, I mean, what is it about liking to be liked? I mean, that's a good feeling, but it's probably even more than that. It's, it's, there's a sense of security there, isn't there? And when people don't like us, there's a sense of what? Insecurity. And we just don't like that feeling. And so, and that's, that's, you know, that's well and good. It's good. We want people to be happy with us. And, and, but if we aren't careful, that can rise to a level where we really don't do the things that we ought to do because we're caring so much about what other people think, how they might feel, how they might respond, where they might get angry, right, all those things. And if that rises to too high a level, we've made a mistake. Now we started this series uh, last week, this idea of becoming more like Jesus and um, We've talked about how important that is, that we know a lot about Jesus, but we don't like really know him very well. And, and so last week we talked about one of the things that Jesus values is weakness. You remember that, right? He values weakness because that's when we find ourselves in a place where we have to depend on the Lord. And as we move and depend on the Lord, he can work mightily in our lives and through us into the lives of others. And so recognizing what we, you know, we're not capable of, accomplishing anything in the spiritual realm apart from the Lord's working. And so we desperately need him. Well, three things that we do around here as a church, what do we do? We what? We surrender to the Lord. Say it with me if you know it, okay? We surrender to the Lord. We grow to be like the Lord. We tell others about the Lord. And so we, that middle one, we need to grow to be like the Lord. And when it comes to this area of, of what people think of us, how they respond to us, how we feel about that, how we respond to that, what we do, we need to become a lot more like Jesus. And so we want to look at uh, one of the, the um, true stories from Jesus' life today to help us with that. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're actually picking up the same place we left off last week, Luke chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we encourage you to take one from under the chairs there in front of you and follow along if you can. We'll be on pages 1183 and 1184. Luke chapter 4, and let's start in verse number 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, 
And news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus has really stepped out uh, into his public ministry. It's just after, like last week when we talked about his temptation, his successfully resisting the temptations. And now we see that he is he's beginning his ministry in public, and he is becoming well-known rapidly, okay? So much so that his reputation is spreading beyond just where he was to the surrounding regions. Um, <clears throat> we don't know that he's worked any miracles yet in the chronology of Jesus. It's hard to, to, to figure that out for sure. But we do know that his teaching and what he said uh, about what God was doing was making a big impact. A huge impact and people were getting excited about it so much so that they're talking about it and the news has spread okay so let's read on verse 16 so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read so Jesus grew up in this city of Nazareth uh, as was his hometown and so his fame is spreading and he has come back home now, when I was, um, <clears throat> the, the church that I came to Christ in, in Kansas City, and, and grew a lot in, and then I got married there, and then my wife and I left and went away to Bible college to, to study for the ministry. But it was always so cool when I got to go back home to my home church, because guess what? They were excited about me there. You know, that I had gone off to, to be a preacher and they come back and they'd have me preach, you know, and all the little old ladies say, oh, you did such a good job, sonny, you know. It was, but it was encouragement, right? You want to come home and you want, when you come home, to, for people to what? Again, like you and, and speak highly of you, encourage you, right? After all, you want to come home and that's where you want to really be respected. Well, Jesus was not just God, he was also a human being, right? Do you think Jesus ever had any desires like that, that he would like to come to his hometown, to the people he had grown up with, to the synagogue he had attended? Okay, so this is the setting. So again, verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So he's in the synagogue where he had been as a young man growing up, and he's there, and, and as the, in the Jewish uh, synagogue, what you could do is, you know, especially if you were a visiting person who had some, uh, some of a reputation, they would, you know, ask you to read. But so he stands up to read. Verse 17, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and by book they mean a scroll. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this is the words that uh, he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It was the, the, the time, this is when God is doing these things. And, and this passage that he's reading from, uh, the Jewish people believe very clearly this was about the Messiah. This is what the Messiah would do when he came. All these wonderful things, right? The gospel to the poor, the healing the brokenhearted, those who are captured and held bondage by things set free, those who aren't seeing clearly, not just physically, but, you know, seeing life clearly, helping them to start to see more clearly, freedom for those who are oppressed. I mean, really awesome things. And, and I'm sure as he's sitting there reading, 
They're listening, going, yes, 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 that's, God's going to do that. God's going to do that. And then verse 20, it says, Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. For more than one reason, not only is this Jesus who's come back, he's, he's back, Jesus who had grown up here, been in the synagogue with them many times, he's back, but also because his reputation has now preceded him. And so they are all now looking at him, waiting to hear what he's going to say. In verse 21, it says, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That was a huge thing that he just told them. The, the, you know, they, this passage, this is about the Messiah. This is about what God is going to come and show up and do. And he says, today it's, you are seeing it fulfilled. In who? In me. I am doing this with you today. The Spirit of the Lord is on me today, and I, he's saying, I, I, he's anointed me to speak these things to you. You know, there's, he talks about the gospel. He talks about Freedom. He talks about healing for the broken. He, and he, he talks about all these things with them. All the things that, that said he would do. Verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And let's just stop there for just a moment. So he's talking probably about all these things and elaborating on them and helping them to see what God is, is doing and, and how he's going to do it. And, and they're probably sitting and saying, wait a minute, so is he saying he's the one? Okay, so man, he's saying amazing things and it's so good and it's so full of grace and, and, and it definitely sounds like words from God. Is he the one? And then at the end of verse 22 it says, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? It's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever been around, you know, families, and there's a little kid in the family, and you've watched this kid grow up, and he goes away, you know, and then comes back as a fully grown adult and begins to talk to you like an adult? Is that kind of ever hit you sort of like, what? This is little Billy, right? This is little Billy. I had this experience last night at our trunk and treat. Trunk or treat as a young man grew up on our street, played uh, with our kids. Uh, you know, I think he, he got the eat the hot sauce treatment from my kids. Now, for those of you who don't know, I don't know how to tell you about it some other time. All right. So, I mean, he, he was just around and grew up and then um, went away, was in the army and came back. But he was there last night and he's like this big. He was out here and just, you know, good to see him. But it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to really connect with him as an adult, at least initially, right? Well, here is Jesus. Young man, we don't know how long he'd been around in, in Nazareth. I'm not sure when he had actually left Nazareth as a, at, at what age, but he's been gone. And now he's back, and he's not back just as Jesus, the son of Joseph the carpenter anymore. He's now back as this increasingly famous rabbi, okay? And he's claiming something very, very special about himself. And they're saying, well, but isn't this Joseph's boy? And they're having a hard time here, okay, reconciling all of these things. And Jesus sees this. And... 
uh, as we're going to see in the passage, it's, it's clear to me that Jesus becomes aware that these people are not really open to God and what he wants to do. They're, they're curious about Jesus. They're interested in that. They're, but where their hearts are, they aren't humble before God and ready to hear from God and ready for God to do something in their lives. And they aren't ready to see the truth about themselves. And Jesus sees this. Now, wouldn't it have been easy for Jesus at that point just to say, you know what? These are people I've grown up with. I, I know them. I care about them. And I just don't want to create any, you know, waves here. I don't want to make waves. I don't want to create any problems here. And so, all right, I can see that. It's been nice being with you. And then head on down the road. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but would have any of you been tempted to do that? I'd have been tempted to do that. But we see something about Jesus, and, and we'll talk more point about it, that won't let him do that. So let's read on. Verse 23, he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. All right, so this proverb, physician, heal yourself, is, it's like, okay, you say you're a doctor. This would be for one person who's a medical doctor. You're a doctor, you know, but let's, let's see. You can't even solve your own problems. That's, that's sort of the challenge. Can you solve your own problems? Physician, heal yourself. And then he elaborates. What they were really looking for is, look, what we've heard. We've heard about you. Your reputation has preceded you here. And we've heard about what you did in Capernaum and, and how you, and, and we want to see it here too. Here in your own country, where you're from, we want to see it too. He says, I know you're going to say that to me. But the reality is, what he realizes, he can't do that there. They aren't ready for that. They aren't open to it. And so he's not going to be able to do this. He says, I know you're going to tell me to do that, but I can't. Now let me tell you why, he says. All right, verse 24. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. All right, it's hard because we know you as little Jesus. <laughs> Verse 25, but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, let's just stop there and understand what he's saying. Back in, 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 the, uh, in the king, this, the first, second kings, we have uh, the ministry of Elijah. It's this great famine. And God sends Elijah to a widow to provide for her, but to provide for himself as well. He did not go to one of the Jewish people. God did not send him to the Jewish people. And what would the Jewish people expect? We're the Jewish people. God has given us the word. We are God's people. Surely the prophet will bless us and work in us. But so the, the story was is that that didn't happen. He did not go there. He went to a Gentile woman in a Gentile area. Okay? Now think what he's telling them here. They're saying, he says, I know you're going to want me to do here what you've heard I'm doing other places, but I can't do that. And I want you to remember something. Remember this story? God couldn't do this miracles here. He, Elijah couldn't do that in your area 
because you weren't open to God, or because, excuse me, the Jewish people weren't open to God. He had to go elsewhere to someone who was open, to a Gentile. Now, for you and I, that doesn't sound like such a big deal. But if you were a typical Jewish person in this time, anybody who was not a Jewish person, you looked down on as being unclean, uh, not right with God, and, and you know, just, they really looked down on people. They, they shouldn't have, that wasn't God's intent. But this is where they'd come, which is why Elijah had to leave and go to a Gentile. All right, so let's continue. Verse 27. Another story. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. Elisha's the one who followed Elijah. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. <laughs> Again, a Gentile. God cleansed a Gentile leper and didn't cleanse any of the Jewish lepers. Why? Because they were not open to God. They were not humble before God. They were persisting in their own ways. And so God did not work in their lives. He went someplace to someone that they looked down on and detested to do his work. Now, why is Jesus telling them this? Well, think, right? They aren't really open to him being who he really was. They weren't really open to this work of God and they're questioning. And so Jesus says, look, I know you're gonna say, hey, I, you wanna see here what I'm doing in other places and experience. He says, but he didn't just come right out and tell them, but you guys aren't right with God and you aren't open. He reminded them of these two stories. And what was he really helping them to see? That as long as they stayed where they were at in their own lives, as long as they didn't humble themselves before God, as long as they weren't willing to open up and say, God, you know, change us, fix us, uh, whatever we got wrong, we're willing to change. As long as they weren't gonna do that, he said, it's not gonna happen here. God is gonna send me, my Father's gonna send me to places where people are open and where they're ready to hear. Now, what should their response have been? I mean, Jesus wasn't nuking them here, was he? He is telling, he's reminding them of what happened in the past so they can think of it. The, a good response from them would have been, yeah, why did God do that? What was going on that God did that instead of, and they could have had that humble response and had an openness then, right, to experience that? Look at their responses, and it reveals that Jesus was right about where they were at. Verse 28, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They got mad at him. Now, did Jesus know that they might get mad at him? Didn't take a, you don't have to be divine to know that people might get mad at you if you tell them that, you know, you're really not right with God and he's not going to work in your life. He knew they could get angry. But did they need to be confronted by this truth? Did they need to see where they were at? Yeah, and, and these were people that he cared about. He cared about it so much that he was willing to risk them responding wrongly. He was willing to take the risk of them getting angry because he cared about them. They needed to know this. 
And they, he's giving them an opportunity to respond. So they are filled with wrath. Now look at this. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Now, I was at this cliff this summer. Let's take a look at a couple pictures here. All right, so this is actually, this is, I'm up on the hill here where the cliff is back behind. And that's the city of Nazareth today. It's, it's really a lot bigger than it would have been back then. But that's the city of Nazareth, the synagogue there. And they brought him up here where, where we are standing. They'll go to the next slide here. And of course, my beautiful wife in the middle. But I want you to see, this is what was behind us. That's the cliff that they would have thrown him off. By the way, if you're curious, that is out over that way. This is the Valley of Jezreel where Armageddon is and all that. But this is a serious cliff, okay? And so this is where they took him to throw him over. Now, verse 30 says, then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So they took him all the way out the cliff, and then all of a sudden he walks away. And the Bible doesn't tell us it's a miracle, but it almost seems miraculous, doesn't it? That he just said, no, I'm not doing this, and walked away, walked in between them and walked away. Why didn't he walk away to begin with? And I wonder, you know, my thought is, is that he was still giving them an opportunity to change their minds about this. We don't know if he was talking to them on the way or not, but whatever, he was giving them a chance. But when it became clear that they weren't going to turn around, he turned and walked away. Now, what I want you to see about this today is this, that Jesus was willing to risk offending people in order to help them. Jesus was more concerned about what people needed than what people wanted. Jesus was more concerned about what people needed than how people felt about him. Jesus was willing to make people angry if that's what it took to get them to see their real needs. We need to be more like Jesus. This is what I was explaining earlier when I said, you know, we don't like to make people angry, right? We do care about what people think about us. We do care about how they feel, what's going on there. We, we don't want to offend people. We try not to offend people. But the reality is, is we need to be like, geez, we need to care more about people's well-being than their comfort. We need to care more about people's well-being than our comfort. Do you feel uncomfortable when you try to talk to somebody about something that's hard you know they aren't going to like? We need to care about them enough to live with that discomfort. We need to tell people the truth they need to hear even if they don't like it. We need to help them see what they need to see even if they don't like us because of it. We need to care enough to risk the relationship because we need to be more like Jesus. You see, we should be less concerned about what people think about us and more concerned about what they need from us. Which means we have to be willing to let them get upset. Does anybody here besides me not like the, I mean, I, this is just not fun, this whole topic for me. But we need to be willing to let people get upset. Now, let me say this. We've, we've probably all known somebody who says, well, I just tell it like it is, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. You know anybody like that? I'm not talking about that. That person has a, their own problems, okay? 
Um, not talking about that. We're not talking about being rude to people. We're not talking about being harsh or uncaring. We're, we're, in fact, we're talking about the opposite. We're talking about genuinely caring, caring enough to be willing to, to do this. And, and we're not talking about you know, taking the risk to upset people about stupid stuff. Uh, we're not talking about, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth about, you know, these players in the NFL and, and make them, or some of the, so much of the political stuff. We're not talking about that. We're talking about stuff that people really need to hear from us, what we have to share with us. And so we're not talking about any of that, that stuff that we would say, no, that's bad, that's not Christian. We aren't talking about that in a way. What we're talking about is what uh, the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter four when he says that we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ. We will speak the truth in love. But sometimes because we think we have this feeling of love, we don't feel then like speaking the truth. But not only do we need to speak the truth in love, we speak the truth because we love. Because we love. And love should motivate us to tell people what they need to hear. Now, if, if telling people then the truth that they need to hear is the loving thing to do, why don't we do it? Or why do we struggle to do it? Why do we tend to avoid these kinds of conversations? What is it that motivates us not to do the important things that we need to do? Well, I think it's probably, in one sense, it's because we really care about people. You know, we, we do care about people. Uh, we care about them and we don't want to hurt them. You know, we, we don't want to hurt people. But cons consider this way of thinking. Let's just imagine that you have a, a good friend who uh, is just, has this amazingly car, he keeps it immaculate, he loves the car, I mean it is just, you know, everything is perfect on it all the time. Uh, he has it, the engine tuned up all the time, I mean it's just, he's really, and he just loves that car, he's proud of that car, and not necessarily in a bad way, but he just, right, it's, it's everything. And um, you would never accuse him of not taking care of his car. But let's say that you happen to notice, you, you notice something under the car as you walk by and there's a fluid under there and you kind of look and you get down and you realize it's brake fluid. And you think, oh man, I should tell him about, and you think, oh no. I can't tell him something's wrong with this car because if I tell him something's wrong with this car, he's gonna get embarrassed, he might get angry. I, I don't wanna hurt his feelings because this is so, it's such a big deal to him, I don't wanna tell him. That seems silly, but right, but so that what you do is you let him get in the car and drive down the road and you put his safety at risk, right? Maybe his life at risk. Why? He didn't want to put him on the spot. He didn't want to embarrass him. Now, now that might seem like a silly example to you, but let's think about this. You have a good friend who doesn't know the Lord. You know, he, he just, he doesn't know the Lord. He's... Um, and he's not, um, doesn't seem real religious friendly. Uh, you've actually heard him say some things about religion, the religious people, you know, and you've heard him how he responds to some people who maybe said something. And you just know that, eh, I don't know if I want to go there with this guy. And so what you do is you, because you don't want to upset him, you don't tell him. 
What's the scripture say? Romans chapter 10, it says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You understand the people that you know in your life who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who have not received Christ as Savior, they are on their way to hell. And if you're saying, well, I'm not going to share with them because I might upset them. I, I mean, I have this picture in my mind, and I, I don't know that it goes like this, okay? But I have this picture in my mind that at the great white throne judgment, is there this person that I never, I chose not to witness to because I didn't want to upset them. And um, they're standing there, you know, and they're understanding that, yes, I am lost and I deserve this punishment I'm going to. And I, I get the, the sense they, they can look over at me and see me and say, you knew about this? You knew? Did that hit you like it hits me? Man, we need to, to care about people. You know, the gospel is always has an uh, element of offensiveness in it. It does. Because what are you telling people? It's, it's lovingly as kind as you can. You're, you're not right with God. Your sins have separated you from God. Your sins will send you to hell forever. And there's, that's kind of offensive. You can't fix this on your own. One way you can do is accept Jesus as Savior. I mean, there is an offensiveness to that. And so it's unavoidable. But if we don't tell them, they will never know. And so we say, well, wait, we, I don't want to hurt them. Well, then you better tell them if you don't want to hurt them. Another reason we say we don't tell is because, well, if they get upset, you know, if I upset them, then they won't listen to me and I won't be able to share the gospel. Now, that comes out okay. It comes out of the mouth and even sounds a little reasonable, right? I don't want to upset because, but you think about this. What you're saying is, I don't want to share the gospel with them because if I share the gospel with them, it will upset them. And if, they upset, if I upset them, I won't be able to share the gospel with them. Does anybody else besides me see that that doesn't make sense? Okay. Now again, we're, we're not talking about, you know, being wise about when to share it. Uh, you know, but what we're talking about is not excusing ourselves from it. And because in reality, I think this is the, the deal. The reality is we don't want them to get upset because that would be too uncomfortable for me. You know what I'm saying? I might say I don't want to make them uncomfortable, I don't want to lose up to But the reality is, is I don't want to be uncomfortable in that situation, so, so we don't tell them. And so what's the solution? You, you have to care about people more than your own comfort. You have to care about people more than your own comfort. This is what Jesus did, and we need to grow to be more like him. Are you tracking with this today? Okay, it's important. But this is the solution. So this is why we're not talking about becoming a jerk. That's a Greek word for, for jerk. We, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about, not, we are talking about, actually we're talking about caring more. Caring the way Jesus cares. Enough to take the risk and, and to put the relationship at risk. Because you care enough to tell them the truth. One more reason, but they won't like me if I tell them this. They won't like me, and that may be the case. And like Jesus, as near as we can tell, 
This was the end of his relationship with the people there in Nazareth. He took the risk and he lost the relationship. But we also don't know but what him doing that didn't have a ripple effect someplace in some of those people's lives for a good. That some of those ended up believing in coming to Christ. Now, this being willing to tell people the truth, even if it's, if it's upsetting or creates the difficulties or makes someone angry or offends them, we're not just talking about those who don't know the Lord. We're also talking about our relationship with other Christians, you know, friends, family that, that know the Lord. We're talking about them as well. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Now, it's interesting. This is from the King James Version. Uh, so the newer translations try to, you know, clarify this. So they say, stir them up, you know, or kind of motivate them. Uh, but the, this is one of those places where the word provoke is really a good translation. And it's the idea of provoking someone. And, and I guarantee if you tell someone, you know what? I'm concerned about you. I see this in your life and that, or I see this is missing from your life. And I'm really concerned about, you know, that it's, you're going to dishonor the Lord and it's going to, uh, you know, create problems in your life. That you, you may very well do what? Provoke them. Who are you to tell me that? You know, I don't want to. I, I think I mentioned this a, a week or two ago in a sermon. I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure I did. When my wife tells me the truth about something, about me, sometimes I get provoked. Now, I mean, I'm not a strike out an anger kind of person, but I get provoked, I get irritated, I get agitated. I, you know. But almost always, it's something I need to hear. It's something I need to think about. She may not be right about all the details, but she's usually right about the root. <laughs> Okay, and so the idea is you may end up provoking someone, but, but we're supposed to do that with each other. We're supposed to care enough about each other that, that I'm concerned about you and, and where you're headed with your life. Yeah. Proverbs says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So what that means is if, I, if, 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 if I'm your friend and I say something that hurts, why am I doing it? Because I'm being faithful to you as a friend. I'm caring enough to share. And that's, here's what I want to really soak in for you to, today. Take this with you. If you care, you'll share. If you care, you'll share. And if you don't care enough, you won't. And so this is really a call to, to love people the way the Lord loves people. You know, but what if, what if they get upset? They cut off the friendship. Again, Jesus cared enough to take that risk. We have to be willing to risk the relationship because that other person is so important. More important than how comfortable I feel. More important than whether or not I like what's going on. More important than any of the things that we've talked about. That person is more important. And so I need to be willing to speak into to his or her life. And so if you really care about people, care about people the way the Lord cares about people. If you care, you'll share. And so I'll say it this way. If I care, I'll share. And so it's kind of an indictment on me, isn't it, or on you when you don't. 
And again, I'm not talking, we, I think very clear, we're not talking about being rude, harsh. We aren't talking about being wise and seeking the Spirit's leadership about when to say it or how to say it. Uh, Colossians says that our speech should always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so it's, it's appealing. We ought to do all those things. But we can't use waiting on that to become an excuse for not doing that. So we've got to become better and more faithful witnesses for Christ because the people around us may never turn to the Lord, but it shouldn't be because we never shared with them. Right? We've got to become better friends and fellow Christians. Uh, People around us may choose to disobey God and ruin their lives and other people's lives in the process, but it shouldn't be because we never lovingly confronted them with the truth. So we need to grow to be like the Lord and care enough to share what needs to be shared. If you care, you'll share. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to me about this again this week and reminding me of this truth. And I know, Father, I need your help with this. I need you to, Spirit, to keep pointing this out to me and keep encouraging me and keep challenging me about this. That I might be willing to uh, take the risk, Lord, to share the gospel and to also to lovingly uh, encourage a brother and sister in Christ about some issue in their life. I pray that for all of us, Father, that we would become more like your son, willing to take the risk, caring enough, valuing other people enough that we're willing to take the risk to share what they need to hear. Work this in our lives, Father. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you, and God bless you. You are dismissed.